Today's episode is brought to you by BitCasino, Kava Labs, and Shopping.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement really, really came to be. And today I'm with Joel Edgerton, the COO of BitFlyer. Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I want to start beginning each episode just like with a quick story. So anyways, I have the three, I have the three magazines there and people come over all the time. Crypto people come over and I have to like make sure they're not like sneaking the magazines away because those things are worth, I'm finding out there were tens of thousands of dollars. People are, are bidding. Someone even offered me one Bitcoin for all three and I'm like, no. So that's nice. Uh, It's the new comic books, huh? Well, there's, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but, um, Joel, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Ah, uh, no, it's my pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, same, same here. It's it's been um, uh, it's been quite a ride. I've been down in uh, uh Florida, and now I'm coming from uh, Rochester uh, here in the studio using the Vox Rock Studios in Rochester, and I'm very appreciative of them uh, for having us. Um, we're up here shooting a movie. My wife is in it. I'm very excited. Um, but it's great. The industry that we're in, I'm able to do podcasting and continue doing it from, from wherever you are. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, we've also kind of gone completely decentralized. Uh, I haven't seen my office in, I don't know, nine months. Um, really? Yeah. So it's kind of cool, but, uh, I, I miss my trips to Japan though. That, that's what I miss the most. Well, so actually that was like kind of one of the the first questions that I was going to ask you, you are um, American based and we were just talking a second ago that you miss your trips to to Japan. And yeah, I, I miss traveling as well so much, but I wanted to ask you like you, um, you began your career as an IBM in IBM as a project manager. Um, you've worked just from the research and in the early 2000s at State Street, uh, you were um, at Citigroup Asset Management, you um, uh, BNP. Uh, I mean, you literally uh, dominated uh, the banking industry. So first, like the crypto industry thanks you for being being with us because you know we need it. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, Bitflyer is a, is a Japanese company that became very uh, uh, global. Hmm. The, the stigmas of Mt. Gox have like largely melted away globally. Hmm. Have they melted away inside Japan, uh, like Bitcoin related? No, no. I mean, even after Mt. Gox, there was a few more scandals that were in there. So there was like a coin check scandal and everything in there as well. And I think you see that the Japanese regulator had responded to that. So in Japan, the, the rules are very, very clear, unlike the US, where it's kind of still spread out among the 50 states and you kind of have to deal with that. But in Japan, the FSA has basically said, we're going to treat crypto the same as all other financial assets, and you will have to have that level of quality in everything that you do. Um, so there was a strong reaction from the government. And we also did a survey recently where we you know, asked uh, Americans and we asked Japanese people what they think about the crypto industry. And it was just diametrically opposed, right? Americans were mm. very positive. They're like, this is great. This is going to change the world. And the Japanese were like, you know, this is the same thing has happened in 2017. We're just waiting for the next scandal. So it was completely different uh, opinions. You know, there's there's definitely no reason to be jaded. And there's like an understanding there. 
Uh, but if you talk to, uh, and you, you talk to them all the time, if you talk to banks and regulators uh, in the US and then you talk to crypto companies, even now, even last week, what do they tell you? We want clarity. We want clarity. We want understanding. We want to know what legal framework do we operate in. From day one, if we had that in the US, the industry would be so much farther along. But there's still that lack of, and that's almost part of the political lobbying process to have that lack of clarity. But it's not just in our industry. It's across all other industries. Hmm. Largely, now, the businesses in our space, you know, they beef up their compliance offices and they, they run them and they have to do that. What's it like running a company that that also deals with regulators that are on the opposite end of the spectrum, like where it's like hyper clarity, where it's like even the spacing of when you send in your auditing reports is like specific of how it's done. You know, there's a process for that. D yeah. Double spaced or comma. You must have dealt with the Japanese before. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, when I was dealing uh with State Street and we had to do a custody report. We one time, uh, one of our clients was the Japanese uh, government pension fund. And we were tracking like something like $60 billion for them. And we were off by one yen and a report. And they got so angry at us. And they, they basically said, okay, you need to write a letter of apology, come in personally and apologize to this mistake of one yen. I was like, that's like, for that amount of money, you're talking about, you know, a rounding error at around the sixth decimal. Um, so they're very, very picky about the way things are done. But, you know, the other part of that is it's very clear. We know what we're supposed to do. We know when we're supposed to do it and we know how we're supposed to do it. Um, so we don't have the, that distraction from building things out. And what it also means is when we go to other countries like the U.S. and EU, because we're the only uh, exchange license in all three areas. Uh, when we go to those countries, the regulators are like, wow, you guys have already done all of this stuff. You know, what's Japan doing? What are they thinking about? Where are they going with this stuff? Um, so it, it's, it's kind of nice to already have those conversations done and have that, that structure built. Um, and then it allows me to just focus on the business. I don't need to uh, worry as much about, uh, you know, keeping the regulators happy because we're generally ahead of them uh, when it comes to those topics. The uh, uh, financial services industry that comes out of Japan uh, also has to deal with a lot of these things. Um, and I always wonder, you know, I always wonder if Satoshi was Japanese or the Satoshi group had nothing to do with Japan at all. And Satoshi was just maybe like a, you know, uh, a Samsung, Mitsubishi, Toshiba together, or maybe it's a group of, of people living in Antarctica base station. Hmm. There was a reason that like the name or the ethos of the of, of early satoshi was japanese mm. and do you ever wonder why like why not make the 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 mysterious figure like a, a mysterious like like viking figure like name ragnar <laughs> that's a very good point uh to be honest i have thought about that and i have no clue as to why i mean maybe they just thought that uh it'd be you know, they, they want to pick somebody on the opposite side of the planet from where they were. So they just picked that to throw people off. I don't know. But um, it, it's not a common name, to be honest, in, in Japanese. Um, I've read Satoshi's writings. He doesn't sound Japanese. He doesn't make the English mistakes that Japanese people normally would make, you would expect to see. Um, so I have trouble believing that it's truly a Japanese person. But I, I think you're right. The ethos uh, of uh, Japan 
And to be honest, the Japanese market was very, very early into crypto. The retail market there was, was massive. Uh, and it's still very massive um, for us. Retail customers are our major business still. Even with all the institutional money coming into it, we're very much a retail-driven business. So it is fascinating. I, I would love to talk to whoever was Satoshi. That would be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, well, just, uh, I know I love that conversation. You can have a whole podcast about that. But I, um, I speaking of that, I, here's a quote that I read about you. You said, you can also go into electronic stores and buy electronics using crypto in Japan. And these places are, you know, they have loyalty points linked to your BitFlyer account. So it really is like a, like a retail system. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Japan is quite involved in it. So there's like a, a store called Big Camera that's equivalent to like Best Buy in the US. Uh, and you'll see Bitcoin signs hanging up in there and you can go in and buy electronics in those stores um, with Bitcoin. You can also go into kind of the equivalent to Barnes and Noble. Um, they have like they call T points, which are loyalty points, and they can be linked into it. So it's quite embedded into the Japanese uh, retail market. Um, we would love to bring those products to the U.S. We've got a, a lot of work to do to kind of catch up with Japan and, and how we embed it into our day to day life. Uh, I think there's still too much focus on prices and trading and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's not really seeped into, you know, our day-to-day -day transactions and how we live our life and the value uh, that it really brings as a technology um, and as a movement, as opposed to just a trading asset. Americans largely, especially in the past two years, I've noticed, and you probably noticed this too, have like really pushed into the gig economy. Every single person that I know, like every person has an app where they can accept money to do something for someone. It's funny because because that's that's kind of how it works in prisons. Like everyone has a side hustle. You know, you can be a personal trainer. You can be a barber. Everyone has, you have your normal job and you have your side hustle. It's kind of interesting how when you had the coronavirus pandemic, all of a sudden when people had their normal job security at stake, they jumped into their own personal capital. It's like, okay, I can do this. You know, I'm going to, you know, I had, I knew lady, I, I know this lady who was a mortgage broker and now she makes little fondue chocolate cups, like mm. amazing stuff, you know, but except crypto, a lot of people, and the beauty of it is that a lot of people have wanted to accept crypto now because all the apps like Venmo and PayPal and Robinhood and Voyager work with it. It works. But I want, are, are, is, so you say it's a very like retail heavy market in Japan. Are, do a lot of people uh, do the same thing? Is it a very like, gig economy driven type of industry too? Um, not nearly as much as what you see in the US. Um, I think if you compare Japan now versus Japan 20 years ago, there's definitely a, a stronger movement to individuality um, and to gig economy. Um, but again, that still kind of has a negative connotation within Japan. Um, so what you would stereotypically think of Japan as the lifetime employment, and everything that's definitely breaking down. That structure is definitely breaking down. And maybe and for the better, right? Huh? Maybe for the better. Isn't there like the lost era or the lost decades or something? Yes. That, that's what they call it. Uh, the lost era. Well, I guess it's going on two decades now, but I'm sorry uh, that I'm asking you all these Japanese related questions. I'm just so intrigued and I'm not really friends with Roger Veer anymore. I can't, I can't, I used to ping his brain about Japanese related questions so much. I haven't spoken to him in a while. No problem. No problem. No, I love Japan. Uh, I have three kids in Japan. My wife is Japanese. I lived there for like 13 years. So no, everything about Japan is cool for me. 
it yeah, seems I like mean, it's an amazing the, place. The, the gig economy hasn't really taken off to the degree it has in the U.S., but it's definitely coming. And, and you do see a very different attitude of people that are in their 20s and 30s versus people that are in their 40s and 50s in Japan. I mean, it's very, very different way of thinking about the world, um, the way they approach risk, the way they, they, they do things. Um, I mean, even, you know, our company, right, uh, was started by Kano-san and Komiyama-san. And, and, you know, they sat in a bakery, you know, not a garage. They sat in a bakery and, and they figured it out. Um, and, you know, that type of idea that somebody would leave a Goldman Sachs and then go sit in a bakery and, and build a, a, a cryptocurrency exchange, that probably 20, 30 years ago would never have happened. Um, but now I think it's getting more and more acceptable. It's become the number one crypto exchange in, in Japan. So definitely moving in that direction, but not as much as the U.S. You left your banking career like around 2018, 2019 to jump into crypto, right? Mm. And th I mean, those years weren't like, oh my God, Bitcoin and crypto is like amazing. We're like buying football arenas in Miami like we're doing now. This was largely like still scandalous years. Can I ask you like a personal question? Like what did your wife's family think about this? Wow, Very conservative, you're going straight I'm to the heart of it. Wow. Well, I'm just curious. <laughs> um, let's just say I didn't ask her family. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, when, when I told my wife about this, uh, let, let me give a little background on my wife. So my wife has a black belt in karate. So first of all, I tried never to piss her off because she can beat me up. <laughs> um, but, you know, when it comes to finance, she thinks it's the most boring topic in the world. She doesn't want anything to do with finance. Um, so I said, okay, I was thinking about going into this and she's like, are we going to have food on the table? You know, we have a roof over our head. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty certain we can do those things. And she's like, okay, then fine. Do whatever you want. So, yeah. That's, that's the, you know, that she's the one right there. That's it. Like the, she, she just wanted the most important things, like just food on the table, you know, shelter over our head. Yeah. Um, so now, so now you're in this, you're in this industry and you're, you're probably seeing now like your old industry catching up to where we are now. Uh, just yesterday, I think I saw an article saying that Goldman Sachs, uh, is like letting their institutional clients get into crypto. And then I'm like, oh, cool. You know, like, and I always wonder like how, like how, cause I always assumed many years ago that these companies were just like buy an old Linux laptop, you know, Goldman Sachs would have their CFO would have, I swear to God, I would assumed <laughs> that Goldman Sachs CFO would just have a laptop that never connected to a computer and they would be custodializing it in some basement in the Goldman Sachs building. That seems like the best and then have like multiple copies of it at multiple Goldman's like, I don't know, but like self custody. I always assume that everyone would want to do self custody because it's the best way. There's no better way, but I now understand that if you do custody and there's like different insurance products against it, you can then have the ability to borrow against and use your crypto for other things than just like holding. And then you can join credit and capital markets. You're probably wondering what my question is. Hmm. And so when I was reading this article, it said that Goldman Sachs is relying on this other company that is, okay, so Goldman Sachs is going to be buying blocks from, I'm not sure if it was Fidelity, and then Fidelity or whoever else it was uses another custodian who then uses another, because there's like four middlemen involved 
in Goldman Sachs offering Bitcoin to their very high net worth individual clients. Like what's, what's going on there? Yeah. Never underestimate the financial industry's ability to make things more complex. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there, there's reasons why crypto is needed, right? I mean, finance has been around for thousands and thousands of years. People have been trying to screw each other out of their money for thousands and thousands of years. So there's processes that have been put in place to protect and, and to reduce risk and manage risk and all these different things. Um, finance, you know, is not going to uh, dive into this. They're going to kind of be dragged screaming and kicking into it. Um, but as long as there's money to be made, they will go into it. Um, I think though, you know, the, the, the financial companies are definitely watching, right? I, I wouldn't say that they're even into it yet. I think they still have a long way to go. Uh, but we do have banks talking to us and saying, you know, how can we make this available to our, our customers and stuff like that? Um, but as far as the technology itself, like I remember when I was at BNP Paribas back in, you know, I think it was 2010, 2011, they were already putting together blockchain technology groups and they've already implemented blockchain technology um, in, in some of their business lines, I think in the wealth asset management business line. So the technology of blockchain and the promise of technology and the efficiencies there are obvious in the finance industry. The technology is obviously an improvement over a lot of different things that we do there. What's not clear is the how to deal with these new digital assets and what do you do with them? So they're not willing to take the risk. They're not willing to, to get into the operations of it. So they'll be partnering with people, just playing around with the edges, and they'll use it as a learning experience. And they'll spend a couple of years just figuring it out. And then they'll buy companies to do it and everything else. But you have to remember, these financial companies are still using COBOL programming from the, you know, 1960s, right? They're still yeah. using those mainframe programs. That's still the core of technology in a finance company. When I was in a college or high school, or in the summer between the two, uh, what year is it now? 2021, maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. Um, and call and so not that long ago, and there is one of the largest electronic store chains in New York City. I'm not going to say who they are, but everyone shopped, shopped there before. They run their internal inventory and ordering system, probably still today, on this very old uh, DOS-based uh, 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 piece of software called Arcus. And in fact, like the guy who wrote Arcus and maintained it was like 90 years old when I joined the company. And he, and he, he wrote it. So... For a while, I was the only person in the world who could like maintain this software. And I was like 20 years old. Uh, it's kind of scary how this same type of software uh, is still running the, the, financial, the financial industry around the world. It's like uh, uh, we had someone on our show here, I think on episode seven or eight, and he had built banking software for South African central banks, uh, all Southern African central banks, all the countries in Southern Africa. And he... Uh, he's like, dude, it's all like a house of cards, man. It's all like scotch tape and dominoes and, you know, and rubber bands. Yeah, no, no. The technical debt in the financial industry is absolutely massive. Oh, good, good word. So technical debt. Great, great, great subject that you bring up. Technical debt is basically where the plumbing, instead of replacing the plumbing of something, 
you just continue to build on top of it, on top of it, on top of it, on top of it. And it comes software to financial services to really anything that requires like computers or software. The more technical debt you require, the more energy is required to actually do that process. So the whole point is to like reduce technical debt, reduce latency to make things happen a lot faster. And that's what really the plumbing of blockchain is doing. Is that the future here? Are we going to still wake up 20 years from now and still see, you know, like the potential banks and of and financial companies of today? Like, like, will like, so Bitflyers and the other, and, and your competitors will buy out the small, like local community banks, but they'll still be here. But the plumbing will be all blockchain. I totally believe that we are at the very, very beginning of a rewiring of the entire financial system, right? There is some fundamental changes that we need to figure out. Um, and it will not be something that's going to happen overnight. This will be decades to take place. But we will be rewiring the entire financial network. Now, most likely, it's going to be a combination of, you know, kind of more advanced banks acquiring companies and trying to bolt them on. Yeah. And new companies and the crypto space just stealing the customers of the financial industry um, onto their own platforms. And, and then those companies just dying off, right? You're going to see probably a, a mix of both. But to be honest, I think the crypto industry is a great place to be because to be honest, I don't see our competitors as being other crypto companies. I see our competitors as being banks. And banks are great competitors because they're slow and dumb. And that's the mm. best competitors to have, right? Um, they will react slowly. They will be able to move slowly. And most of them will say, we're making money now. We don't want to disrupt stuff. We don't want to wipe out our own business. So they're going to make dumb decisions. And that's, to be honest, human nature, right? You, you have something in your hand. You don't want to lose it. So the crypto industry, I think, will totally rewire the financial industry over the next uh, few decades. Well, I mean, okay, so let's just say a bank had a certain amount of customers and they sent an email out saying that all of a sudden this bank now will let you maintain a Bitcoin balance. Is there a fear that existing customers of the bank won't like be account holders there anymore? Investors in that bank will leave. Is there a fear that people leave now? That they lose trust because this company now wants to work in the crypto industry? To be honest, I think it's the opposite, right? I mean, the, the biggest advantage that the banks have is they already have the existing relationship and trust with the customers, right? That, that's their biggest advantage. And they've been trying to sell uh, all these different products into them. So you can do savings, you can do lending, you can do mortgages, I mean, you can do CDs, whatever, financial products, insurance, whatever. They're trying to sell it to their customer base. So that customer base is extremely valuable. Um, while on the crypto side, we don't have that trust. We don't have that customer base, right? So we're trying to do that. So a, a bank that can take its existing customer base, pivot to that technology, I think is a smart play. Um, now, do they have the, the capability to do that? Um, do they have the technology to do that? No. So then they should be partnering with somebody that does or, or you know, taking the long-term play and building it out themselves. Did I ever tell you guys about the $614 million pizza? Well, back in 2010, a friend of mine, Laszlo, purchased two pizzas with 
a little known currency called Bitcoin. Now, fast forward all that Bitcoin now, March 2021 is worth 614 million dollars. Well, I've partnered actually up in celebration of this. I partnered up with the guys at pizza.io. And if all you have to do is share your purchase of Bitcoin uh, over, it doesn't matter when you did it, take a picture of something that you purchased with Bitcoin, post it on Twitter and tag Bitcoin pizza.io or go to pizza.io and you can win up to 500 bucks from a $10,000 prize pool of almost anything. It's so cool. All you got to do is post a picture of something you purchased with Bitcoin, tag them in it. It doesn't have to be even a pizza. could be anything. Don't be like Laszlo. Make sure you get your Bitcoin today. They're giving away 10 grand worth of free stuff. Pizza.io. The most important part of our Bitcoin and crypto industry is being able to not only earn money in crypto, but also be able to spend it, earn rewards in crypto and keep that uh, revolution going, keep the cycle going of all of us together. Well, my partners at Shopping.io are offering just that multi-tiered discounts up to 10% where you can spend your crypto anywhere that you're already buying everything already, Amazon, Walmart, eBay, but use your crypto to spend it earn back cash back earn back rewards and not only that but if you go to untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io you get an additional on top of every other discount an additional two percent so you can go there now and shop and get 12 percent off of everything you're already buying anyways and use your crypto you can ship to uh, almost any country in the world, fantastic, fantastic company. Make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io. Our partners over at Kava Labs and Binance just launched something really cool, an awesome new integration where you can earn 10% APY on your hard stable coins using the Binance DeFi platform. This is actually pretty cool because Kava Labs has been doing DeFi, but actually in a decentralized way, offering governance for their token holders. And not only with their stable coins, but their lending products, all their different, the ability to stake and vote and earn different yields and liquidity mining. So not only is Kava Labs doing that, but partnering with Binance gives it that awesome, like full trailblazing go ahead to offer these really, really good yields with an amazing partner, Binance and Kava Labs together. Check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. That's untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. There's always some specials and crazy stuff going on. Enjoy. There's a different ethos and I want to get into Bitflyer, but the, the, the differences here is that you at your company look at customers as our customers have to opt in they have other places they can go or they can go nowhere at all and custodialize it themselves. Whereas banks don't say that. They say, sure, they can go to some other banks, which there are few of, mm. but they can't leave us completely, get closing an account, moving the money. It's such a hassle and a burden that it just it disincentivizes customers from ever leaving. And then if you do, like everyone who's ever closed a bank account knows somehow there's like a negative overdraft like a month later that hits your credit report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you can never actually fully, fully leave a bank. Um, and I think that creates like a healthy, good, like you said, a good competition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were, and this may be my fault. I didn't connect this early on, but Bitflyer isn't a, a Japanese company. You it started as a Japanese, global, globally regulated, huge. I remember when Bitflyer launched one of the, now one of the longest running uh, crypto companies in the space. I think 
2014. And a lot of the people uh, involved in your company are like Bitcoin OGs and people that are like friends with myself and like very involved in the community and everything like that. Um, what is, tell me like, like currently for, for the listeners who, who haven't been up to speed on, on where BitFlyer is at, tell us about it. Yeah. So you're right. We started in Japan and we're the largest cryptocurrency exchange in Japan. So I guess you can think of us as kind of the Coinbase of Japan. Um, we always had the vision of being a global company though. The Bitcoin is global. It's the same in Japan as it is in the U S and the same in the EU. So it doesn't make sense to be kind of just a domestic company. Um, but we always wanted to be a regulated company on the right side of, of the law. Um, and, and we moved into the U S we've moved into EU. Um, we're looking at other countries to get into as well. I think that the main thing though, is, you know, we're finding it difficult to kind of move some of the stuff we're doing in Japan into the US and into EU. Um, so that's what we're, we're trying to do now uh, to build out that uh, structure that we, that's been successful in Japan into other locations, other countries, and to bring that value to our customer. We don't want to be a company whose you know, value is totally linked to the price of Bitcoin. Right? Yeah. We don't want to be that. We want to add value to our customer. How do we make their life easier? How do we save them time? How do we do things for them? That's who we want to be. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. And we've got a lot of work to do to do it. But we've got the infrastructure in place. We've got the people in place. We just need to make it happen. What does that decoupling actually look like? Because there are a lot of uh, uh, Bitcoin and crypto related like publicly traded companies where even, even when those companies will make money that month, the stock price can go down simply because the price of Bitcoin or the sentiment of crypto goes down. When does that decoupling end? Not anytime soon, I don't think. Um, for, for the better, though, I don't want it to end. I like our industry that it's like a Wild West still now and you can like learn and do and, and have fun and enjoy still. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to keep that innovation and to keep pushing things. Um, and that's, what's exciting about it is it, to be honest, for me, it's still very, very, very early in the crypto industry. I mean, you know, uh, I keep on going on podcasts like this and I, I, I sound older and older every single time I get in one of these podcasts because, you know, I talk about like the early days of internet and they're like, yeah, Google. And I'm like, that's not the early days of internet. Um, you know, I'm talking before AOL and all of that stuff, right? Um, we're at that stage, right? We're, we're, the game hasn't even started as far as where, I'm concerned. Where are we, to me, to me, the internet watershed moment or like the mainstream was when you were seeing AOL CDs at every, you know, like Walgreens and CVS and Dwayne Reed and stuff like that. And everyone didn't even need AOL CDs because everyone had AOL. And at that point, when you can go to a friend's house and they have a dial-up modding and play Roller Coaster Tycoon, mm -hmm. I feel like at that point is when the internet really, and this was, what, I don't know, early 2000s, the Y2K bug, everyone had like a collective sigh of relief and the internet was able to like take off after that because that was a big, was that FUD? Those years, I remember, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, um, like... AOL was big kind of the early, mid 1990s. Then, you know, you had the internet take off with, you know, all the silly dot-com companies and everything like that. I think we're still kind of early 1990s type of thing where, you know, the, the killer application was, you know, email, right? Now email is free, right? It's totally commoditized. There's no value. 
And, and that's kind of where I see things today. What we see as the valuable uh, driver of crypto, I think in 10 to 20 years will be totally commoditized and it'll be something totally new we've never heard of that you know adds a much more incredible value. I think we've got a, a, a long way to go before we're truly tapping the potential of this technology. What do you think uh, uh, Bitcoin will be seen at down the road? Um, like this hyper-collateralized asset? Um, I think Bitcoin will be uh, treated as a, another asset, right? It'll be treated just like gold or any other commodity. Um, I have... I don't know on the payment side because Bitcoin mm. kind of also can be treated as a cash and a monetary asset. Um, I have trouble believing the governments will allow that to happen. Um, and then it'll be kind of slowed down in that piece. But as far as like an, uh, an asset, uh, I think it can be quite valuable. And I think as a way to transfer value cheaply and fast between different uh, people and different countries, uh, it, it adds a tremendous amount of value. So even Bitcoin, I think, is still very early days, to be honest. Um, and then you start adding in new things like the, like smart contracts and being able to add logic and technology on top of that, being able to create interactions. You've got the oracles and stuff like that. I mean, even blockchain technology with oracles, that type of technology could have a massive impact just on the insurance industry. Right. You know, in the insurance industry, they spend huge amounts of money dealing with claims and knowing is a valid claim, not a valid claim, fraud all over the place. Taking a blockchain technology with a type of Oracle where you have, you know, one source of truth, that's a massive efficiency gain for the uh, insurance industry. So there's all kinds of use cases that are still out there that are untapped for, for this technology. So it's not like we're not talking about trust is like, I trust you, you trust me, you're going to screw you. It's these insurance companies have to pay a like to de-risk that trust anyways hmm. to get that to check if the claims are, are good or bad so they have to spend money on like de-risking themselves hmm. whereas because now uh, uh blockchain is inherently a like a settlement finality or it's like risk off or you don't have to trust a single point that's the value to them is they have the same type of data they're getting better data but they don't have to trust the source of it and you don't have to pay for it, really. You do. You build the technology for it, but it's the cost is like peanuts compared to to whatever it would be uh, over in the long term. Is is that how companies and businesses and regulators and governments are looking at like things like Ethereum smart contracts and like blockchain version two? Is that what they're looking at now? No, I don't think they've. They're looking at it that way. I think they're still they trying to understand. I don't think there's uh, one cohesive vision of the future between anybody. Um, but I think there are some people that, that are getting that message out there um, where they're talking about, you know, how this can really impact on people's lives um, and to, to, to trust the code. Right. Um, I, I think it's there, but it, the regulators, no, they, they don't get that yet. They're trying to take, what they have as their current view of the world and trying to make the crypto fit that world. And it's not, they're going to have to create no, it's, a yeah. new world. To have everything fit in perfectly together. Hmm. Uh, you, we, there, there, there's like an assumption here, right? Uh, what, there are two things. There are a lot of things that make Bitcoin and the larger crypto community powerful. 
uh, when you have when you have uh, data that is one hundred percent believed to as a fact, uh, like one plus one equals two. There's no one, very few people in the world that will argue that it's a fact. One plus one equals two. You can write software that will always come down to one plus one equals two or X plus one equals two or whatever you want to do. And we do everything believing that software and code is finality and it works. But pre.com or like pre, you tell me, was there a time when people would even not trust software and code? Like people say, oh, this is like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about these computer things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take a, a, an easy example, uh, the banking industry, right? So accounting, right? Double ledger uh, accounting. Um, that's been around for thousands, thousands of years, but there's still, you know, thousands of people employed in the financial industry whose whole job is just to check numbers, right? They're just checking numbers and it's in the machine. It's there. They're still checking it. And then they send it to somebody else and they do a transaction and then they check it on their side. So the, the amount of duplication of effort in the financial industry is massive, right? Because there's no trust. You don't trust your, yourself inside. You don't trust your counterparties. There's no trust. So there's duplication of effort to, to verify information throughout the entire uh, industry. So if you have a technology where you do have a trust and there is a single source of truth, the efficiency gain is absolutely massive. But it remo it doesn't it remove the ability to like trade off of information and arbitrage? Because uh, I feel like a lot of people make money nowadays with like the arbitrage of information, of prices, of 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 different like you know, prices, you know, costs of things, of commodities, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. When you have like a single source of truth, mm. then where does the speculation go? Well, I mean, I think that's the, the value of consensus, right? Um, it, it, you have to search for truth. Um, and while mm -hmm. you're searching for truth, you have a range of possibilities. So if you go out to the markets right now, you go to Coinbase, you're going to see one price of Bitcoin. You go to Bitflyer, you're going to see a different price for Bitcoin. You go to uh, Gemini, you're going to see a different price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is exactly the same. They're all doing US dollar trades, but they have a different version of the truth. They're all really close to each other, but they're a little bit different version of the truth. And I think that's one of the beauties also of the blockchain is it's consensus driven, right? It allows for other opinions and then the consensus drives that, that new opinion. And it's the same way, you know, in human thought, you know, we once time thought that the earth was the center of the universe, right? That was truth. But over time that was challenged and the consensus changed and the truth changed. So there's nothing that blocks us from changing the truth or having a better truth. Uh, it's that search for truth and that consensus around it that allows us to do that. You're always on a path. I always tell people I'm on a, I'm a, I'm wandering I'm on a path to like, you never want to be at that final end. You want to always be on that journey, on that path, seeking whether it's enlightenment, my personal goal every day, people, I, I tell, I tell everyone, my, my goal is just to seek more joy in one day than I had the day before. And you don't, you don't, you're not successful every day. Yesterday was a great day, but I think the day before I was more joyous. Um, and so it's like a conscious effort to be joyous and to, to <laughs> seek that. 
because mm. I feel like there's a constant, like, especially in the world of today, mm. especially in the world of today, there's a, so much negativity and constant, like, of that demon, that, that shadow that wants to, like, overtake your emotion and, and create, like, negativity in, your, in our brains, which is a very, very unhealthy thing in the long term. Mm. Um, and I think, I really think, like, crypto saved so many people's uh, uh, lives psychologically, mentally, especially over the past two years, because mm. we've been able to like, when the whole world had to like, the whole financial industry had to like move offices and their whole corporate culture and how they met people and relationships was all based in the office. For us, we were like, just just another day at work. You know, yeah, we were already used to the Zoom world. <laughs> yeah. So we're all like, I, I read a stupid article the other day and I think it was the New York Times where it was like, yeah, relationship, Bitcoin makes relationships I don't know if it was the New York Times. I forget it where it was. It was like cryptocurrency uh, is uh, science has proven that that if you're involved in cryptocurrency, relationships are are worse off long term. I'm like, what a what a crock of shit! Hmm. What a what a bad, badly, poorly written, poorly researched and written article. Hmm. Um, because I would advocate for the complete opposite of that. It makes you more conscious of of things. Uh, of the here and now, constantly being in this industry, you have it's to the constantly, same thing about right? The internet, right? I mean, the internet was going to break human relations. Uh, email, people are going to be sending yeah. email. They're not going to be doing talking to each other anymore. I'm like, you know, humans are a little bit uh, stronger than that. We're not going to be broken by a technology, and relations will still exist. And it opens up an opportunity for a wider net of relationships. So, yeah, you're going to always have people that that take the negative side of something, you know that are going to want to destroy the new technology or whatever, because it's challenging their way of thoughts. But the, what is a value will be kept and what's not a value will die over time. Tell me, um, because I'm coming up on, uh, uh, on, on a, on a 40 minute mark here. I wanted to ask you very quickly because a lot of our listeners uh, are not us based actually like over 50% are not us based. Which countries do you support? What assets do you support? Uh, um, I want, I want my listeners to check out Bitflyer and to try to use it and play around with it. So we're obviously in Japan and the U S we're in 48 States. So we cover New York. We've got the bit license. We actually are in Hawaii. They've got a nice kind of sandbox that we've got into in Washington. Oh, nice. And Florida? Europe, we've got the EU. We cover the whole EU. Um, so those are the, the areas where we're regulated. So, um, Happy to check people out. They can come into our European site, our US site, Japanese site, bitflyer.com. Amazing. Joel, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and coming on Untold Stories today. Um, I just wanna wanna go back to what we're saying, like with, with being choice and like being in the in the here and now. Do mm. you do you have any advice for your uh, friends who are in the traditional banking industry who want to come over to crypto, who are uh, what would you tell them right now? Um, to be honest, I, I have this conversation all the time and I, 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 I tell them the same thing. I'm like, listen, if you want to have fun, you want to make a difference, you want to build something, you, you can come over and it will be, you know, there, you can take the, the things that you've learned in the financial industry. You can apply them very easily in this, help us solve these problems, right? Don't be a cog in the wheel, create the new wheel. Oh, I love that. I love that. Don't be the cog on the wheel, create a new wheel. And then eventually someone else may be the cog in your wheel, but <laughs> create a new wheel. Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Um, amazing. Great. Love it. That was great. 
Thank you. Hey, wait, I want I just drove through the whole state of North Carolina the other day. Is that where you're based? Uh, right now. Yeah. I'm in Raleigh in oh, the nice. research triangle. Oh, nice. Nice. I just, we, cause we drove from Florida to Rochester up here and we passed, we stayed at the Greenbrier. So we drove up the, up North Carolina. It was pretty cool. St. Charleston's great state.